This is Channel 253. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We, we fly, fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. One, two, two. Interchangeable. White Ladies. Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Annie. Today's essential question is why is equity an issue in science education and what can be done to promote access and opportunity for women, students of color, and young people living in poverty? All right. Our guests today are Natalie Rezka and Jen Holm, and they're amazing and awesome, and they are also fellow teachers. Uh, Jen is from originally from Minnesota and moved all over the United States when she was young, finally landing in Tacoma. Her undergrad degree from UPS is in natural sciences with an emphasis in biology. She worked at UPS for 12 years and has been teaching at Lincoln High School for 15 years. Natalie is from northern Michigan, Gaylord, Michigan, a bachelor's in biology and studio art from Kalamazoo College in 2013, as well as having lived abroad in Ecuador from 2011 to 2012, which included research experiences in the Galapagos Islands and in the Amazon rainforest. She also has a master's of ed from University of Michigan and graduated in 2016. She also, I didn't know this until today, was awarded the State of Michigan Teacher of Promise 2016 award. It's basically the student teacher version of the State Teacher of the Year. That's really cool. I was not aware. Super cool. Um, that's great. And so, then, aren't you also nationally board certified? Uh, twice. Like yeah, Why so. didn't you just mention that when you were talking about yourself? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Jen, Jen's humble. I don't know for our yeah. listeners out there. Um, not two twice nationally board certified teacher. Yeah. So uh, my first was in 2009, and I recerted last year. That's amazing. That's so hey. great. I'm so glad you mentioned that. That's really cool. Um, so, did we miss anything about you that we should include? Was that it? I'll cover all the good stuff. And some yeah. other stuff? I don't mm-hmm. know if we said I got my master's from UPS, too. No. Jen yeah. also got her master's from UPS. <laughs> when did you get your master's from UPS? Uh, my undergrad was 2003, and my master's was 2004. Nice. That's awesome. I love it. Well, welcome. So this is a question for both of you. When were you first captivated by science? Because most scientists have an origin story, like they built a lot of rad stuff when they were kids or had an amazing teacher. So where, how did you become interested in science? And either one of you can start. Go ahead, Natalie. Um. I originally did. I had a my. I'll never forget my science teacher from high school, Mr. Calimber, um, was just super like nerdy and loved science. But uh, he did this. He was our chemistry teacher, but he did this water quality um, unit where at it during the middle of the winter we would go do um, in winter in northern Michigan we would go do some. Uh, river rafting and do some water quality checks uh, and like look for different benthic macroinvertebrate species. Um, yeah, that was really where it started. And then for a long time, I wanted to be a doctor and uh, eventually ended up in Ecuador for that year abroad and did some research in some really cool places, especially the Amazon. Um, and while out there, realized I don't want to be in a hospital all day. I want to be doing science research. And then eventually did some science research and realized I want to teach people about science research. <laughs> and then that's how I became a teacher <laughs> that's of awesome. science. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. I guess for me, um, when I was young, really young, one of the first memories I have was uh, I, I don't like to read, but my mom made me go to the, the library and check out some books. So I checked out some science book about uh, making stuff or, you know, just like a maker kind of thing. And she was always at work and... I had read this one page in the book, and it was about making this hot dog cooker thing. Mm. And and so while she was gone, and she tells me this, I was probably in fourth grade maybe. I don't remember it this way, but apparently I had cut the cord off the toaster, <laughs> spliced the cord from the toaster, wrapped it around a couple of 16-penny nails, and I had it stuck in a hot dog. Each side stuck <laughs> yeah. in a hot dog. And I was about to plug it in when she walked through the door. <laughs> Oh my! <laughs> yeah, yeah that. And we've all we've all heard stories about your mom. Your mom oh, was like she's she was, hardcore. She's hardcore. She's yeah, yeah. A serious academic lady, oh, and she yeah. was yeah yeah. What did she do? Um, yeah, she pretty much ripped that thing out of my hand. She didn't want to discourage me though, but she sure. said that probably wasn't the best. She also idea. didn't want you to electrocute yourself. Right, right. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so 
She, just, she made me return the book. <laughs> <laughs> but you were bit by the science bug. Yeah, and I, too, wanted to be a doctor for the longest time. Yeah. I mean, forever, for as long as I can remember, I would... Uh, my mom is an academic, and uh, actually, she has a she is a doctor. But I used to carry around her Grey's Anatomy book. It's oh, yeah. actually mm-hmm. a book, not just a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to read that thing like all the time, and uh, that was like probably you know when I was really really serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went at one point. I went as far as uh, I would draw blood from people. Oh. What? Professionally, well, uh, I was a phlebotomist. Yeah, oh, for, wow. for a year in college because you needed yeah. to have so many years or so many hours of patient experience before sure. applying to be in like med school or whatever. Um, but yeah, I eventually once I went to Ecuador and I met this really awesome lady. I have no idea what her name was, but in the deep in the Amazon. I mean, it took us like eight hours to get where we were, just like in the middle of nowhere. Um, and she was at this research station and was studying bats by leaving nets up overnight and then going and taking the nets down and counting, like, how many different species of bats. And I was like, that's a job. And, <laughs> I, realized, and I realized that that was – I was like, I don't want to be in these, like, sterile hospital walls yeah. forever. Yeah. That, was so your, then, that was your hot dog experience. Yeah. I think it yeah. sort of was yeah. – I really more so was my – when I got bit by a spider in the Amazon, that was oh, my hot dog God. experience. <laughs> yeah. But, no, but <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jen, can you yeah. talk a little about how you decided then to become a teacher? Um, Sure. Uh, I, it's kind of similar to what Natalie was saying. Like, I, I really wanted to go to med school. That was my thing. And then um, – I had a kid and I was a single parent and I was like, that's probably not going to work out. So um, I, I was still always in the back of my mind, though, and it's, it kind of still is today. But I got to thinking, um, I, after a couple of courses of, of like um, microbiome and stuff like that, I was like, I am not an exacting kind of person. And mm-hmm. it takes a special kind of person to, to – to sort of be that analytical. And mm-hmm. I was just like, if, and I didn't want to work in a lab. That's when I knew I didn't mm-hmm. want to work in a lab either because yeah. I don't care that much about measuring and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, stuff that's important if you work in a lab. And I was just like, <laughs> no, that's really not me. And so I had this like epiphany where I saw in my head telling somebody, oh, you might have cancer or you might not. And I was like, no, yeah. mm-hmm. no, probably not a good idea. But I still really liked the just the there were certain things that I got to do while I was in school that were really mm. exciting. And I wanted to share that with other people. And I thought yeah. that teaching was the kind of the best way to go. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, so when you think about your guys' own education and the process to where you are today, um, what kind of barriers do you think you face, particularly thinking about as going into the field of science, which tends to be dominated by men? Um, if I'm not speaking correct, if that's not true anymore, feel free to chime in. Um, do you think you face any barriers along the way that kind of de- try to deter you from the work you ended up doing? Yeah, um, I I am a white woman. Um, I think that when I went to uh, Kalamazoo College, there was a lot of white women I noticed in my like biology kind of major um, that I was getting. But um, when we're, when you're talking about more like the physics or the engineering or like uh, mm-hmm. computer science or things like that, it's definitely still white men, I think, even to this day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a barrier that I faced um, was I came from a rural Title I high school uh, and that didn't have access to AP programs. And when mm-hmm. I went to college, within my first semester, I remember sitting there with a friend who also came from another school that didn't have AP programs and we almost dropped out the first semester. We were like sitting outside of the library like how are we supposed to pass these classes because all the students in there had already taken the course basically because they had taken Mm -hmm. an AP class. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They had taken an AP class before uh, like an AP chemistry, an AP bio. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was the first time I'm seeing all this stuff. And so it was just like extremely overwhelming. Um, and so I think a barrier for one was just not having the preparation. So having to like totally figure it all out myself my first semester. And then um, and then two, another barrier is I my both my parents lost their jobs in the recession um, while I was in high school. And so 
I didn't have any um, money or opportunity to like stay on campus Mm -hmm. for the summer to do any sort of research or internships. Um, Our school made us do an intern or a research, uh, like a thesis, an undergrad thesis during our junior summer. Yeah. Um, where I did some research, but I made it up in northern Michigan so that I could like be closer to home and work a second job at the same time. Um, but I never had the money to be able to stay on campus, so I never got that opportunity to like do research with the actual professors and things like that. Uh, it was always the students that had the money that could stay there and do that extra research. And those are the same students that um, like I'm still friends with some of them on Facebook and stuff, but most of those students are doctors or um, doing some sort of like maybe they're done with their PhD at this point and um, they were like kind of cradled through the Mm -hmm. education system by their professors because they have this like extra relationship because they had the money to stay Mm -hmm. in the summer to do these research positions and if you didn't have the money to stay um, you couldn't make these connections and you didn't have this extra help from the professors because you weren't there as much Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah that's I would definitely say that was a barrier and and that's coming from me as a as a white woman. I think there's definitely other barriers that exist that aren't just financial. Mm-hmm. Can you um, unpack a little bit? I don't know if everyone listening knows what Title One is. Like, what does ha- being in a rural district and Title One mean? I mean, you mentioned money and finances, but why didn't why didn't they just have AP programs? Can you explain that a little bit, or Jen, even? I yeah, I just I just think they just didn't have them. Um, they just didn't have the funding to have them, or they didn't have maybe we didn't have the pass rate. Like now that I'm in. Like working at a high school, I understand a little bit behind the ideas and the politics behind getting AP classes. And sometimes it's just that conversation of like, well, our students wouldn't be interested. And maybe they assumed in my in Gaylord, Michigan, that our students wouldn't be interested in certain AP courses. Um, I do know now that they have an agriculture program there because that makes a little bit more sense and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. But, um, yeah, I think Title I meaning like less... Or um, a certain amount of students yeah. on free or reduced lunch, right. so they have less money from maybe families and community support mm-hmm. and stuff going to the school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I think it's maybe 70% free and reduced mm-hmm. to be Title One. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. So, Jen, how about for you? What were some challenges you faced? Oh, well, a lot of the challenges I faced were put there by myself. <laughs> Just... Uh, you know, being a teenager is difficult anyway. Um, yeah. But when I finally got to school, it was, there was a lot of um, just feeling like I didn't belong. Mm. Um, UPS is a very, very white college, university. Yep. And although they said at the time I was there, there were 40 people of color, I swear oh. to you, there were only four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I can name them all, and one of them is mm-hmm. now another teacher at Foss High School. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, and you know, it's it's difficult for me because I was adopted and raised by white people. That a lot of times when I'm with my family, I don't feel any different than a white person, I guess. But yeah. it's so I, I guess it's kind of a double shock when mm-hmm. I go out, and then all of a sudden I'm not who I thought I was mm-hmm. to people. Um, but just in terms of barriers, um, you know, I would say that was the most difficult one is just not people not believing that you could do it, mm-hmm. you know, or. Well, I know, also know we've talked before because we share our classroom door behind yeah. each other. We talk all the time. Yeah. Um, at one point, I remember we talked about how you. Uh, how much extra side work you had to do while also going to school. Yeah, I had a serious side hustle job. Mm. <laughs> it wasn't really. School was, I went to school on my vacation hours is what I did because mm-hmm. I worked at UPS. And um, when I finally decided to go to school, um, mm. it was the, the worst thing was they said I hadn't graduated from high school. Mm. And I was like, what? what? Exactly. Um, <laughs> and so I had to. I didn't have a, or I did have my diploma. That's right. I had my diploma, but when I, um, Foss said I hadn't never graduated. Hmm. And so that was the first barrier I had. But I, I worked at UPS. Um, I started in the kitchen 
And I worked in the kitchen for eight years washing mm-hmm. dishes. Um, and then I got a job in the bookstore, and I was the cashier in the bookstore. And when I got the job in the bookstore, it afforded me an hour lunch, mm-hmm. which I never had before. And so I decided that I would go to school on my lunch hour and use my vacation time to do that. So wow. I took my lunch whenever my class was, so it would be weird, but I never had, you know, I had to eat during class because I, that was my <laughs> only time out of the room. And so that's why I did that for two years. Um, wow. And then during the summertime, um, there was a little more freedom in, you know, choosing where to use my hours. And so mm. I was able to do that. And then at one point, my mom said, you know, you're never going to make it like this. And so here's what I'm going to do for you. And so... Um, she actually paid all of my bills, wow. all my credit cards off, and she said, you can go to school full-time now, and I will give you $1,000 a month to live on. She said, it's not much, but you can get by if you're, if you're mm-hmm. good. And that's what I did, and I finally was able to go to school full-time and graduate. But um, while I was in school, I had work-study job back at the bookstore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. it was just like a, a sort of a full-circle thing. But, um, yeah, it was difficult, mm-hmm. you know. And I was older, so that was another thing. Mm. And like Natalie, yeah. I never got that that experience of being able to live on campus or mm. or things like that. I did have one good friend, Brandy. She was awesome, and we kind of did everything together. But we had that same feeling that Natalie did. Like, how the heck is everybody like doing so well at this, and we're just struggling? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, that was difficult, you know. And I not giving up on myself, mm-hmm. you know, was it really important for me? And Brandy, we didn't, you know, we we worked harder than everybody because we didn't have that AP background. And I had been out of school, out of high school for 11 years before mm. I went back to college. So mm. it was hard. Wow. Yeah. 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 Do you feel like, um, do either of you feel like when people were responding to you or when you're going through pro- your program or even now, do people ever look at you and, and kind of give you the, like, why are you a scientist or you shouldn't be doing this work? Did you ever feel any of that pressure? Every time I go to some professional development thing, I feel that. Mm-hmm. Every mm-hmm. single time. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's with other science people or it's, it's always with, with other science people. Yeah, that's because where it's the I'm worst. the I'm the only black person there. Yeah. yeah. Male or female, and it's just it's. Mm. I went to um, a national conference, mm. which you would think that would be more diverse. Yeah. And no, I could probably count us all on my hands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're talking probably, okay. I don't know, 3,000 people. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Ring the shame bell. Ring the oh, shame yeah. bell. Yeah, that's what oh, it's for. Nice. Yes. Yay. Right there. <laughs> shame. Poor shame. That is really shameful. Mm-hmm. It is. I'm curious yeah. about um, the data with that because I actually don't know. I don't know if anybody knows or if we'll have to look that up and add it into the show notes. Do you know what the percentage of science teachers or people in science education are um, are people of color? I did a little research before our episode and I didn't I, I find anything about that. But yeah, anecdotally, I mean, I, you know, just based on what you're saying, it can't, it's not a lot. Yeah. There's not a lot. No, of there's not a yeah. lot. And yeah. when you think about like, what does it take to go to a conference? Yeah. It right. takes mm-hmm. money. Yeah. Right. So um, when I first started, Pat would pay for us to go. Pat's our principal. Yeah. Shout yeah. out. Yeah. So, but now we don't have any money, so that doesn't happen. But now I'm in a position in my career where I can pay for myself. But if you're just starting out, there's no way Mm -hmm. you can afford to go. Mm -hmm. So even if you wanted to, even if you wanted to connect with other science teachers, it's just... The financial barrier is too high. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe a regional conference, but not national conference. Yeah. They're expensive. Yeah. Really expensive. Really. Yeah. You're talking about airfare, mm-hmm. you're talking about hotel, you're talking about your yeah. entrance fee, all that stuff. Yeah. And for something yeah. that, I mean, I don't, I'm new enough to teaching to not understand how all the hours work, clock hours or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like when you go to those conferences, it's also a um, complete pain to go through whatever process it takes mm-hmm. to get those approved, even though it's a conference that's growing you as a educator you come back to the district and they're like well did you sign the paper three weeks ahead of time sorry it's not going to count towards mm-hmm. anything in mm-hmm. your career oh you want to go up the pay scale now that mm-hmm. doesn't count yeah yeah yeah, yeah there's all the um bureaucratic barriers mm-hmm. too right mm-hmm. it's the financial bureaucratic yeah hmm. 
So in these science, so kind of shifting a little bit, but thinking on the same vein, like in the science conferences and professional learning, it's mostly men. We're looking at mostly white men. Um, I mean, what do you two do in terms of navigating those spaces? Say you you get past those barriers, like you mentioned, just an experience or there's people around that get you there. Um, what happens once you're there? Is there, does it make you want to go back? Like, is there a way to transform that? Is it just, I don't know, can you speak a little bit to that experience? What do you do? Well, I actually think, and I have not gone to as many conferences probably as Jen has in her teaching career, but um, I've actually noticed not white men science educators. I have actually noticed white women science educators, which I think... Me as well. And I think women educators are more... This is totally guess, more prevalent than men educators in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's mostly white women science educators, which I do Mm -hmm. fall into. Um, And so then I get... I actually sometimes will go to these conferences and feel like this tiny bit of guilt that I am another white woman science educator. Um, And there's a lot of other things I'm sure we'll discuss at some point in how I try to um, navigate that in the classroom and and not have that be the main focus of anything. But um, I'm not exactly sure why it's all white women science educators. I don't know. When I was in uh, my undergrad that, and, and same with Natalie, in biology, it was mostly mm-hmm. women, yeah, more women than men. But again, when you're talking about physics, you're talking about computer right. science, and all those mm-hmm. other things, it's mostly men. Yeah. So it depends. Yeah. On well, that rebuilds my own bias yeah. in thinking about it, because I guess, yeah, now that you're bringing that up, I think about it, it makes sense if you look at the professions, predominantly white women. So mm-hmm. what we have between mm-hmm. 75 and 80 percent, depending on what report you're looking at. Mm-hmm. So that would make sense that in those. Um, even those within spaces, disciplines, even that are male dominated in other in other. Yeah. Subdisciplines yeah. that in education it's still mostly white women. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever had a science teacher. I never had a science teacher as a person of color, mm-hmm. um, and I never. And they were all either white men or white women. Yeah, I, I had, had one, one. I had one black woman. How old were you I by then? That that not it's not a what, what? it was not a black woman. She was Caribbean, like Afro Caribbean. Was she Caribbean? She was in college. Yeah, in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had. She was one. awesome. One African American teacher mm-hmm. um, when I was in sixth grade. Yeah, yeah. I had my first African American teacher in college, in undergrad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's incredible. so. Let's yeah. talk a little bit more about how that, um, like, in terms of education. Then, so you yeah. guys are standing in front of kids, right? Well, right. Um, and I, you know, I found these statistics from the U.S. Department of yeah. Education did a, a study a couple years ago that said that eighty six percent of America's high schools offer biology, and I was like, eighty six percent, like, what's happened in the other fourteen <laughs> percent? Um, so eighty six percent of America's high schools offer biology. Seventy three percent offer chemistry. These are comprehensive high schools in the United States, and sixty percent offer physics. They also found that approximately 5,000 high schools with high black and Latino enrollment, meaning schools with more than 75% black and Latino student enrollment, offered math and science courses at a lower rate than the overall population of all high schools. So as science educators, what insights do you have about that disparity? I mean, we teach at a a pretty diverse high school, um, and our demographics are even shifting. Like, this year have changed a lot. But, like, what are your insights about that? Natalie and I were just talking about Mm -hmm. this at breakfast. Mm -hmm. um, That... You know, it's it's true, mm-hmm. you know, it, and you can see it in our school. And I don't know how many years. Well, for all the years that Natalie's been there, we've been lobbying to have um, AP Chem, AP Physics. You know, mm-hmm. we have teachers who can teach it. Yeah. And are asking to teach it. And yeah. we have AP in every other discipline in the building, mm-hmm. every right. other department. Well, except for, I mean, there are a couple that don't offer AP options, like in fine and performing arts, but yeah. in English right. and social studies and, yeah. But the message that always comes back is um, our students wouldn't be interested in that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our, yeah. There we go. Shame. Um, our, That's our students w- want to go to trade schools instead or things like that. Yeah. Those are kind and of the conversations. And I don't think it matters. I mean, you could still take an AP class mm-hmm. and go to a trade school. It's not that yep. those two aren't mutually exclusive of each right. other, you know? Yeah. But we've been asking for years. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I, I assume part of it's money. Mm-hmm. AP classes cost more because you have certain AP science classes cost more because you have certain labs that you have to do. Right. Um, and you know what? When I think about this now, what we do in our classrooms, how... I subsidize what goes on in my classroom. Mm-hmm. Like all the activities come out of my pocket. They don't mm-hmm. come from 
<clears throat> curriculum mm. or money from the school. And I think yeah. the same is true for Natalie. Mm-hmm. Hundreds you know? of dollars a year. Yeah. And yeah. I, I counted that, it one time. I think I was, some people listening don't really understand how much teachers put pay out of pocket. So what is that actually? What, what do you think the average is by year for you guys? I averaged mine out. And I, you know, there's years when I spent $3,000 and there's years when I spent $1,500. Mm-hmm. There's also, though, like, I think a starting off teacher like myself, I'm in my first three or this is my third year yeah. now. But um, I feel like. Any extra dime I had the first couple of years was trying to put anything into my classroom to, like, make it a comfortable space. But also um, things that people don't necessarily realize um, is there is sometimes a budget through the district to, like, order resources such as, for example, an enormous thing of corn syrup or something Mm -hmm. for experiments that you're Mm -hmm. doing in chemistry or biology Mm -hmm. or, like, um, duckweed, algae, things like that. But actually... um, those kinds of systems don't even work that great. Or they might say, like, you only get this much this year, but you have this many sections. And it's uh, so you are almost always going into your own pockets to find mm-hmm. um, the stuff that you're going to have kids do experiments with. Or, like, I know Jen had to go to the pond and get some or yeah. Wapato, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and get some, uh, get some, some local algae. Yeah. Get some yeah. local <laughs> algae for us to all talk about. But yeah. um, those are the kinds of things you have to do as a science teacher is, uh, fund the stuff yeah. that's about to get destroyed in the classroom so that they can have a cool experiment. But you're right. like pretty much, or like I have to buy bags and bags of flaming hot Cheetos to right. burn for right. our experiment. For your experiment that the district says that you need to do. Yes. That's yeah. mandated by the But they're not the going to give you those yeah. Cheetos. You're going to have to get those Cheetos yes. yourself. Or if you want those Cheetos, you're going to have to start filling out some forms, you know, three months in advance and then <laughs> yeah. make and then sure you check out the card. And right then you'll time. get the card because you didn't fill out that form right mm-hmm. or you forgot that and yeah. when you're new nobody tells yeah. you what you got to do and i know like within my first two years i've definitely spent over a couple thousand each year yeah. of my own money and that's and that's money that i barely have to spend on that because i should be putting th- more money towards you know student loans like these yeah. crazy amount of student loans mm-hmm. um other things in my life as i'm starting up a career but actually any extra money was going towards resources mm-hmm. for the classroom yeah yeah it's an externalized well, cost that I think a lot of non-educators don't understand, that they just mm-hmm. say oh, well, well-functioning schools just happen, but they don't no. just happen. Mm-hmm. That They happen out of the pockets of educators and out of – and in some cases, you know, in wealthier school districts, out of the pockets of parents in the community. Right. right? Mm-hmm. But it's not funded at the level it should be for to sustain, you know, the kind of educational outcomes we want, right? Hope right. you're going to say something. No, I, uh, no, I appreciate what you're saying. I was just thinking about too. I don't know if um, our listeners really understand. Like you, both as science educators, could be doing a million other things and making a billion more dollars than what you're doing now. Mm-hmm, um, can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about that? What's the trade-off that's happening here? Like thinking about, you know, you're both master's degrees, all these other certifications and these honors. Uh, what could you be doing instead and making crap tons of money instead of buying Cheetos or arguing with somebody about? Haggling over the haggling over algae. Well, um, I have like a direct link to that because currently, right now, you could call me a um, a teacher researcher. I am like a Murdoch partner in science. Uh, It's a two year program where uh, you do research with a institution. So, in my case, it's University of Puget Sound, and I'm doing research partner with Professor Stephen Neshabud. Um, ice crystal surface roughness, looking under a scanning electron microscope to um, kind of, we're kind of looking at, you know, how smooth a surface of a crystal is or an ice crystal is. um, And that eventually math and math away, algorithms away, eventually ends up saying uh, something is wrong with our climate change model because Mm -hmm. um, it's always been assumed that ice crystals are smooth on the surface, but actually under a scanning electron microscope, uh, he's been finding, and I've been helping with this research a bit, um, that ice crystals are rough on the surface, which messes with all the algorithms. Um, but we still have to figure things out. Um, so currently, I'm like kind of balancing this uh, teacher-researcher role because um, I do research with him in the summer for these two years, and then uh, and then I teach during the year. But I sometimes think about that when I'm when I'm working with him in the summer, um, how much different life would be if I was just doing research uh, because I wouldn't be bringing things home to grade. 
I wouldn't be um, <laughs> I wouldn't be up at night worrying about a seating chart. Right. Um, I wouldn't be dealing with the stress of you know, like I mean, we were even just chatting about this today or something. But there's um, just simple things like having done a, a course in the summer this summer and still not having the pay in my paycheck yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, things like yeah. that where. Uh, those things wouldn't be happening so much if I chose the higher paying job and was just a researcher, um, was busy with just my one question I'm trying to solve, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and going through that process. But I love to, uh, bring, help kids get there themselves Mm -hmm. and eventually make their own science kind of like pathway and so that's that's the part that I love uh it's just there's a lot that gets in the way sometimes definitely Mm. yeah yeah same here I mean there's there's like you said a million things I could be doing Mm -hmm. um that don't involve me you know being to work at six o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. and leaving at what what time do we leave four o'clock four or five four or five six o'clock at night (laughs) depending on the day yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. depending on what you have have labs to set up or whatever Definitely a couple hours of lab set up after school. Like, um, even just candles. I would say we average probably 11, 12 hour days, you and I. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I worked in a lab when I was in, uh, at UPS. I worked in Betsy Kirkpatrick's lab and looked at seed scars on through a microscope. And I mean, I could do that. And some days I wish I did do that, Mm -hmm. you know, um, just being, being able to enjoy yourself when when you're at home and not like you said think about the million things that you have running through your head like do I have my lesson target for tomorrow do I have my slides ready mm-hmm. do I have this ready to go you know where is that going to come from and so I guess there's all those things and I've thought about um, being a curriculum developer something mm-hmm. like that which is to me kind of exciting yeah. um, and still kind of in the same field. Um, thought about going to get my PhD. I still think about going to to med school. And Mr. Wynn and I, had, he's another teacher at our school. Have, we've always talked about going to med school together <laughs> as our next career. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, it's kind of a good spot, actually, to take a break, I think, real quick. Annie, does that sound okay? Yeah, sounds great. Hey, Hope, did you have a good weekend? Yeah, it was great. Nate and I were out of town Friday and Saturday night, and then nice. on Sunday we flew back home. Wait. How's that possible? Like, we were messaging you and you and I were messaging each other back and forth all day. You were on a flight? <laughs> Girl, you know about free messaging on Alaska flights, don't you? No, I did not know about that. Maybe a certain podcast co-host could have told me. I'm telling you now, it's amazing you can chat for free with Facebook Messenger, iMessage, and WhatsApp from the flight. So like ins- in the air. Wow. So instead of grading papers on the flight, I could be chatting with my IWL BFF for free? Yes, it's truly magical. This changes everything it really does we can do all kinds of podcasting notes we can do have a little chat about our next pinterest episode so to book your next trip and send messages from the sky visit alaskaair.com we We fly fly alaska Alaska. all right we're back so listen you should be a member of channel 253 if you go to channel 253.com backslash membership you can join and it's only four dollars a month or forty dollars a year which is a great deal to support your favorite podcast network so join okay Okay, so now we're back. Um, we had a question for you about positive changes because we've been talking about some of these systemic problems in science ed, but there's got to be some positive stuff too. So what are some positive changes happening in science education in terms of affording access to students or making it easier for historically underrepresented groups to become teachers or like what's happening that's going well? I think one of the biggest things that's happening, I know that um, UPS has started a – sort of a network with Tacoma Public Schools and they're offering um, free education to people to students of color from uh, Tacoma and I don't remember I think in the first year they let maybe they had scholarships for 10 kids mm, that's great yeah. It, yeah that's awesome I'm and that's full ride all four years Wow and I think it's called it might be part of the access program I'm mm-hmm. not quite sure what it's called but um, that's one of the biggest things I think that is going to be helpful. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Um, something I just know as like a uh, side thing is that um, NSF or like National Science Foundation mm-hmm. um, are 
more likely to award grants to professors or people who are applying for grants if they have some sort of distinguish like distinct um community outreach or some way to bring underrepresented high school students into the research. Um, And I know that because I have set up um, with Stephen Neshaba before I became a partner, the Murdoch Partner in Science, um, set up with Stephen Neshaba at University of Puget Sound um, through an NSF grant to bring uh, high school students from Lincoln, specifically Lincoln High School students, to do that ice crystal research too Mm -hmm. in the summer. But they also get to learn, they get two weeks of training of using just a scanning electron microscope mm. during the school year. And then from those kids that do the research in the school year, they have the opportunity to come do a paid summer re- uh, research position at University of Puget Sound for three weeks in mm-hmm. the summers. Um, but I know that there are more. there's more than just the National Science um, Foundation doing those kinds of like add-ons where mm-hmm. they are willing to give more money or grant more mm-hmm. um, research opportunities as long as there's um, some sort of inclusion with community or uh, underrepresented students. That's yeah. Right. yeah. UWT also has a summer program um, and UPS still has their summer program yeah. that's free to um, it's free to everybody, but it's targeted at students of color. So That's awesome. Um, both really good and they're both focused on math and science. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really good. I think another thing is like having teachers like Natalie that are partners with universities gives us a huge um, sort of uh, it's a, it's such a benefit for our school. Mm-hmm. So for kids to be able to see uh, teachers working outside of the school and doing real research and then having that mm-hmm. opportunity as well. They wouldn't have that opportunity if if Natalie hadn't made that connection. Yeah. Um, Similarly, I think like Leanne Love had a connection with a um, software engineering company mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago, and they came down every Friday and taught coding and then awesome. gave a paid internship to three or four kids in wow. in Bellevue. So they paid for their transportation up and back. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, and so that mm-hmm. things like that are are great, but you're not going to get those connections if you don't have teachers willing to make them, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and we're already to a point where we're really mm. kind of overworked that a lot yeah. of people don't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It's a hard, it's definitely hard. Yeah. I um, have to spend a full, as much as I love it, the full three weeks of summertime with students mm. still. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do get a small stipend for doing that, but small. it's... Um, but it's definitely very small. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely uh, it's time that I could be using mm-hmm. to yeah. not be doing that right. to refresh <laughs> right. or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And there's and, there, and I think one of the other things that this sort of speaks to is uh, it's such a hard sell for me to convince really there's a couple teachers who have helped out, but it's really hard for me to get any teachers mm-hmm. from our school to chaperone students to go mm-hmm. use the scanning electron microscope. And it's only a two-hour commitment every once in a while where you're like, I just need a couple teachers to take two kids at a time. It's mm-hmm. not a big amount of kids. Um, but I don't want to be the only one getting this awesome experience. I want other teachers to have the opportunity. Yeah. And it feels like I'm – sometimes it feels like I'm pulling teeth to get anyone mm-hmm. to try to take just two students to go see this really amazing scanning electron microscope, look at bugs underneath it or look at whatever right. underneath it. Because um, they're they're not having to train anyone. There's someone that will train the students yeah. there. But uh, and yeah, there's just there's, the buy-in is hard mm-hmm. because people need to also mm-hmm. practice self-care and not say yeah. yes to too many commitments. And so yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that are those partnerships and kind of what you're talking about with chaperoning? Are those the kind of things that say someone listening who's a community member um, who may or may not have a kid in school can be part of? Is that something that they could? Um, offer their time and their energy? I, I'm not sure since it involves transporting a kid in a personal mm-hmm. car to another place, even if they right. had volunteer clearance, mm-hmm. I don't know that that would be mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. It's good to know that 
these connections are available and that they're possible, that they're out there. And that, mm-hmm. especially with universities being such like hubs of research, right, mm-hmm. that you have those opportunities. But just a real reality check for people who are listening, maybe not in education, that we still are – there are so many barriers in science education for mm-hmm. ac- for access for students. So, yeah. Well, yeah, and I think another really important to keep in mind. Another thing, too, that's important there is that um, <clears throat> Professor Stephen Neshba did not have to choose Lincoln High School. He could yeah. have chose any high school mm-hmm. in – uh, in our district, because he wrote high school students, you know, on into the grant, um, he definitely could have chosen other schools that are typically chosen more often. And so I think it that was a big, uh, pretty awesome thing that he did was choose Lincoln High School and come directly to us and ask if anyone was interested in helping mm-hmm. him out. And I said yes, because I was in my first year teaching and I was like, yes, excited. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I still yeah. am so glad I did because it's opened so many doors for me. But also I've I've just feel great getting kids this opportunity because mm-hmm. um, they these are opportunities that even students in college don't necessarily get a right. paid summer research position that's now on their resume. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before they even apply to college, which is incredible. Yeah. But I think another thing that we have to think about is that, you know, university professors just like us, mm-hmm. they don't often want to yeah. do extra work. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's this is a really important thing that has happened here. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times um on the high school side, it's when teachers are in their, you know, they're early in their career when they get these opportunities because mm-hmm. people who have been in their career longer don't want to do it anymore. Um, so we have to think about that, too. Like, why does somebody, you know, who's 15, 20, 25 years in their career not want to reach out and make those connections? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And how do we keep getting people like Natalie that want to make those connections? That's that's super important because we could get somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, that doesn't want to make those connections. And then where are we going to be? Right. And I feel like if you everyone put your foil hats on, (laughs) if you uh, if you just go up the chain far enough, you don't even have to go very far. But um, we're just underfunded. Public education is underfunded. And. and if you if you go far enough up the chain, you also I mean even just in like this current presidency, um, tons of government uh, climate change websites have been shut down. There you can't access them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's this this mentality or this like hushing of science mm-hmm. all the way yeah. up, um, mm-hmm. and so it's trickling down. Mm-hmm. And it's been I mean I think the reason we're in such a climate change crisis uh, is because there's been such not great funded science education for so long mm-hmm. that yeah. that huge bubble of people who have had not great science education for so long are now people in power who have yeah. no idea how to read a graph, who mm-hmm. have no idea how to right. understand what evidence-based arguments are. Yeah. Um, and that's why we're in this state of things as well. Yeah, that was one of my arguments as well, is this like we're not fully funding education, period, be yeah. it science or anything else. Um, well, science isn't even now. The science test isn't even required for oh, yeah. graduating. Yeah, no. But is it, science even real? I mean, really? Right? Right? <laughs> yeah. For real, though. I mean, there's yeah. enough people that think that, and then what you're, you're like flat earthers. I, mean, I, I should have these... rang the shame bell for the old things you were just saying, but I was just like just shocked. I was just shocked into silence. So now I'm just, <laughs> and now that I'm out of my. Yeah. No, I'm not. I mean, totally. Shy. It's it's uh, we see it every day, but it's just yeah. the reality of it is st- is stark and sobering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, it is. Yeah. yeah. And the, it's just um, our planet is dying. Mm-hmm. And for sure. people don't believe it because they don't believe science. Yeah. And then yeah, so you bring so that. Wild. So you bring that back to your students. Like, <laughs> you bring oh. that back to your students, and they're just like, "What do we do?" And you're kind of like, "I don't know what to help. We what change to do. everything at once." Yes. How? I don't know. Just, yeah. Like, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. So, say you have a magic wand and you can mm-hmm. wave it and change some of these things. I mean, where would you start? Would you start at the top? Are there some things um, locally that you think? Oh, we have can to call it done? a magic wand, or yeah. is it like a sciencey wand? Because yeah, yeah, you know, magic, wand, it's supernatural. Science. Any kind of, of wand. What material is not endangered that would be okay to be have it made out of? Yeah. <laughs> How? What, what would you do? What would you change first? Hmm. 
I would go poof, and the entire presidential everybody gone. Well, well, yep, preach. <laughs> poof. Yeah. Yep. So not just not just whatever his name is, but Pence as well, because he's not anybody. Everybody, everybody mm-hmm. associated with that man, boom, gone, and put in somebody who knows about science. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I would also say poof gone, but I would also argue saying poof gone to all of that. It's it's basically at this point it's habitual for the for our nation not to believe in science or or take people's opinions right. over science. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would like to poof gone the idea that people's first of all that media can influence more than like real evidence can and also like word of mouth can influence more than real mm-hmm. evidence can mm-hmm. i really want it would be great to have a society of people that focus on real evidence of everything and i feel like that would change not only science but so many things like yeah. these crazy percentages of you know people that are being killed by police and mm-hmm. all this stuff um but people are just for some reason not believing it because they get to choose what they believe and what they don't believe instead of looking at the facts mm-hmm. and the evidence mm-hmm. um, i would poof gone oil and yes. oil products and then force people mm-hmm. to have to and find the, alternatives well mm-hmm. the reality is if we really poof gone oil right mm-hmm. now we yeah. still can barely save the planet yeah yeah it's uh pretty irreversible yeah which is depressing to try to teach students about. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a nice segue to like what <laughs> in the classroom. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was thinking about what you're talking about because in the 10th grade curriculum at Lincoln, we, at the end of the year, we always focused on a, a global issue. And a lot of the kids centered around um, climate change issues or something related to that, whether it was deforestation or water or food mm-hmm. um, yeah. and hunger. I mean, what do you, what do you all do in the classroom? How do you approach this uh, in terms of your teaching? It's something that I want to like kick and scream about all the mm-hmm. time because as science educators who are maybe older, who've been educating longer or, or are tired and things like that, mm-hmm. um, they're used to an older curriculum, which is not the next generation science standards, which is what we have now. Um, and the next generation science standards, you're supposed to have a very clear emphasis on climate change the entire year, if mm-hmm. not at least for mm-hmm. a unit. But even in biology and chemistry, and I'm on the chemistry curriculum development team for the district, um, and even with myself being on the team, the climate change stuff gets pushed to the last unit of the mm-hmm. year. And wow. that last unit is always shorter because it's the end of the year and no one is on time ever when it comes to teaching things. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets thrown away, thrown away, thrown away. And this has been happening for years and years and years, which right. is why we're still where we are today in mm. people understanding their impact on the planet. And then you also have people who like um, – even science educators across the nation who may or may not actually believe in climate change. So Mm -hmm. they're not going to teach that at all because they may not believe in it. Um, And so, and it's controversial and you have the risk of parents Mm -hmm. calling in and being like, why are you putting, telling my child about this? I think it's just as controversial as evolution has always been to teach. Yeah. Um, And so there's that. Uh, I think what I've done specifically in the classroom to try to navigate this is I found this thing called a shoot. What's it called? Um, global climate simulator, I think, or something. Mm. It's mm-hmm. online, mm-hmm. and I had I did this entire. I dropped everything at the end of last year when I had three weeks left of school. I didn't complete my biology curriculum how I should have. I made Uh-oh. evolution. Yeah, <laughs> I made evolution just be a video, and then I went because because I, I had to make the choice, and the choice was. You know what? I need to skip evolution because I need them to understand climate change. Mm-hmm. And so we dropped everything and we ran a um, simulation for three weeks where students had to be in control of a different country um, and try to input some ideas of how much like deforestation they would do, afforestation, which is like replanting mm-hmm. trees and things like that, um, how much CO2 they would reduce and what year they would reduce it and what's a realistic goal for everyone. And even if you had everyone reduce immediately right now, um, and it, we still are not, we're still going to see like a four degree Celsius increase right. in temperature, which is dramatically going to change mm-hmm. our planet. Mm-hmm. And it's beginning right now. Yeah. But I think one of the other cool things was that you did was with that simulation is when kids were in their countries, mm-hmm. they they had 
like if you were in the U.S., you had a chair. But if mm-hmm. you were in another country that if was you were in the other developing nations, you, you were on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and kids really <laughs> took some serious mm-hmm. offense to that. Uh, yeah. And that was important because they and they also didn't have as much say. And so the idea was kind of setting that stage of like, this is how politics work and mm-hmm. how do you work within the politics you have? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and their all- their main goal is by tw- by twenty one. Hundred, right? Two one zero zero. Yeah. But their main goal was how do we make sure that the planet does not go above four degrees Celsius change, and they had to get it to drop below a four degrees Celsius change in temperature uh, mm-hmm. based on what right now is our projected. And the other crazy thing is they have to also, as a nation, decide how much they're going to give to um, d- to um, the global climate, the Green Global Climate Fund, or whatever, mm-hmm. which is actually a thing that currently exists right now. Um, the current global climate uh, fund is like $10 billion or something across all of the countries of the world. Uh, but they need definitely closer to like $300, 400000000000 billion or something just yeah. to make sure that you have um, Jeff, some— I think Jeff Bezos could help with that maybe. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it seems like he could um, help. But that's more so to like help— developing countries never have any oil dependency like let's skip the oil dependency and go straight yeah. to something skip, that's skip like the industrialized mm-hmm. yes you know, and go straight and go. to green or um yeah yeah so it's just it's it's crazy yeah. but that was something i did in my classroom that yeah. i mm-hmm. um i want to do every year but it takes a lot of time and it means that i have to cut things out of the curriculum and that and you shouldn't is a, have to do that it, it's supposed to be embedded so i'm doing yeah. better to embed it like all throughout yeah. the year, but that means then I kind of go a half step off yeah. of everyone's curriculum. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, those are things I'm doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Jen, how about you? Can you repeat the question? <laughs> <laughs> what do you do in your classroom to either, you know, help with the equity issues that we were talking about, helping kids see themselves as scientists or just change science as a whole or envision oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the relevance of their own lives? Um, so one of the things I do, it, it, just the language I use I talk about all of us as being scientists, cool. not, you know, you guys are just students. No, you're scientists when you're in this room. Um, yeah. So hopefully kids begin to see themselves as scientists. Um, yeah. I try to keep it real and do authentic things that matter. And I think one of the things that Natalie and I have been trying to do more, um, well, I I don't know if she she's probably already been doing it, but that I've kind of learned from Natalie is we always are making sure we have an essential question for um, our unit that sort of brings things closer to home. And it's not just some weird out there, mm-hmm. you know, concept, but no, we're like right now we're looking like, should we release wolves on Mount Rainier? It's something close. It's something kids know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even like though in chemistry, it's can yeah. we win a drag race using corn as fuel yeah. and not, Drag race, like drag race. Like but, RuPaul's drag race. Like, <laughs> but like drag race, like car race. race. <laughs> I definitely had students be like, drag race? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, those are just little things, but just, um, and just making sure that uh, what happens in my room is just equitable. I mean, I, I fight for my kids. If I feel like yep. we need something, I'm going to make sure we get it. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't care. I'm not going to say, oh, well, so-and-so said we can't have. No, I'm going to go straight to the top and figure out why. And um, I also like to look at other schools and what they have and say, mm-hmm. hey, why don't we have that? We're in the mm-hmm. same school district. Mm-hmm. What is it about the north end that is different from the east side kids? Why do they have those things? Mm-hmm. And just to, I mean, even if nothing comes of it, at least I, I said it because yeah. a lot of people aren't saying it, mm-hmm. you know. I think, yeah. yeah, I think another big piece of that, too, is uh, not letting students realize just how underfunded our school is when it comes to science, mm-hmm. uh, not not lifting that veil for them and being like, well, we don't have enough materials or things like that. Right. Uh, we, we can't do we, that because we, we don't have, have to, this behind yeah. the scenes. You, you mean you, me and Jen are flurrying around like yeah. every morning, like, how do I make sure that this happens for the kids? Blah, blah, blah. Like yeah. I just had them make biofuel in my classroom, but realized I only had eight things that I could use to distill biofuel from when you're um, supposed to have like when I'm supposed to have 32 three, yeah. for enough mm. class periods to have eight stations of their own so instead I had to like last second be like yeah. and here we go we're pretending we're doing this all as one big class but the kids don't know that um, right. mm. I just ran 
ran it with one huge class running the lab together um, and made it mm-hmm. into something else. But that's the kind of work that teachers are doing at underfunded schools mm-hmm. that never happen at the other schools. Mm-hmm. And then the, on top of that, you're talking about like, now I got to have maybe six or eight or ten kids mm-hmm. physically touch the lab while the rest helped and, like, were verbally helping. But at other schools, they all get their hands-on experience because mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. they have the materials. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and as somebody who – so I didn't do my first IRL lab until college. Isn't that mm-hmm. sad? Like, I did it all mm-hmm. correspondence in high school, and I, mm-hmm. like, read about labs and, like, had to calculate the things that were – like, yeah. the predictions. But I think about that first lab I ever had, and it changed – like my attitude mm-hmm. about, you know, my mm-hmm. encounter with science. I'm like, man, this is really fun. And I, this I even like, like, I went to a pretty well-funded suburban high school and we had, we did labs very rarely. And I think that was because of lack of resources and availability of just yeah. that we didn't have what we needed to do, to do the work. And the classes where we did the most labs were classes where it was less set up to, make them happen. Like I took physics in mm-hmm. high school and like sometimes with physics, I mean, there's like, it's less materials needed. Mm-hmm. Like you can use just random things that you find um, for labs and experiments. But like we even had things that I, you know, opportunities that I are irreplaceable. Like we, my high school did a popsicle stick bridge building competition for physics mm-hmm. and we made popsicle stick bridges with just Elmer's glue and popsicle sticks. And my team won the suspension bridge competition. It was like, we got Yay. to use string in addition to the, you know, popsicle nice. sticks and Elmer's glue. But those opportunities, like I, that just changed my whole self-concept about studying science. And so being able to participate in labs is mm-hmm. crucial mm-hmm. because it's that hands-on experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I definitely think, though, too, it's kind of that trickle-up situation. Um, if we had better funding for public education, we would have mm-hmm. much more confident and stronger science teachers coming through their programs as well because yeah. to be able to run labs confidently in front of students, you need to have, as an adult, put your hands on labs right. and practice them. Yeah. Um, and if you're not getting that hands-on experience in your Absolutely. education, like in your yeah. master's program or even yeah. in your bachelor's education programs, um, if you're not having a very specific science education mm-hmm. background, you aren't confident enough and you don't want to injure kids and do something wrong um, and try to yeah. run an experiment and mess something up. So you're not confident. So you do the worksheets or you do the online yeah. Yeah. visual uh the the um, virtual labs, virtual yeah. labs, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's still it it comes down to individual confidence too. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. But what doesn't make um, sense is the fact that you know for how what do we decide there are nine eight of us mm-hmm. eight science teachers. Yeah. You know we have a had a two thousand dollar budget now I think it's like got halved or something. So mm-hmm. we don't have any money. Yeah. And you we know? don't have enough materials. And we don't have enough materials. Between all of us, we have to send an email and be like, who has enough ring stands yeah. for eight so spots? Yeah. You can't, <laughs> you can't say that's fully funding education. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's not. Yeah. If somebody listening who lives in Tacoma specifically wants to contribute to your guys' classroom or help in some way, um, what do you recommend that they do? How can they get a hold of you or where can they donate or what does that look like? Um, I have, there's a lady in um, Wisconsin who gives me money every year and she donates to my classroom $750 every year. And she just sends a check to Mr. Irwin and says it's for Jen Holmes classroom. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know her? Yeah, yeah. She's a friend. She's a a doctor friend of my mom's and she was just like, I need a tax deduction and it's coming to you. And That's so, awesome. Ooh, send one to Pat Irwin that says for Natalie Reskin's classroom. <laughs> right. <laughs> or just, just in, in science in general. I think there are know. people that, you know, maybe they don't have $700, right. but they mm-hmm. get or something at your yeah. classroom and yeah. just help make it a little bit more help support um, towards well, the that you want. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's hard, too, because I've definitely dabbled with the idea of starting a GoFundMe yeah, just me to too. be able to have yeah. money for my yeah. classroom, but I don't want to be one of the millions of GoFundMe teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, yeah. instead, I'm just going to deal with what I have and make the best out of it yeah. um, because I don't think it should be totally on yeah. society to pull right. from their own pockets to give me money. I yeah. think it's a bigger issue. Yeah. We should make yeah. the yeah. right yeah. voting choices all the way up. Exactly. Yeah. 
absolutely. Before we shift to our last segment, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you two were dying to talk about that you maybe brought up at breakfast or something? <laughs> um, no, I think mm. covered all the important I would, stuff. I would like to put a little uh, shout out for the Murdoch Partners in Science. That sounds rad. That I'm I in. Know, it's, uh, it's, on, that. it's all like West Coast states. So like mm-hmm. California, mm-hmm. Oregon, Washington, Alaska, Montana, and Idaho. Mm-hmm. I think that's all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty incredible. If you want to, if you're interested in becoming a science teacher researcher, mm-hmm. it, I think it's secondary education. But um, basically, if you can find a partner of some sort at some sort of university, uh, the Murdoch grant covers for the professor what your research would be. So they're not mm-hmm. having to pull out of their own professor grant money or things like that to yeah. get someone to come in and do research for them. And then the idea is you're learning uh, what it's like to be a researcher again, or maybe you never were a researcher um, before mm-hmm. or never were like truly doing science research before you were a teacher. So it gives you that kind of insight into like, okay, I'm doing research. This is how it feels to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. My students feel this way in my classroom. Now I can teach them better because I now remember what it's like to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but then yeah. also they have fully paid for amazing regional and national conferences where they're working on your um, teaching practices, but also uh, giving you chances to go do really cool things like uh, meet with other researchers and things like that. So That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Um, well, uh, shall we do a very quick champagne and real pain? Champagne for my real friends, real pain for my sham friends. I had an idea for Champagne Day, which was, um, thank you all, by the way. You did a lovely <laughs> job answering questions, um, and that was just an awkward segue. But here we go, Champagne. <laughs> um, first all-female spacewalk. That's Ooh, awesome. Champagne, pop the champagne hey, for that. Champagne, champagne. Yes, so good. Um, hope you want to do a real pain today. Uh, yeah, although do either of you have champagne uh, that we can raise glasses since we're oh, yeah. staying positive yeah. for a moment Any before champagne? I bring the pain <laughs> Champagne to Natalie for all her extra stuff that she does. Yeah, champagne. Like, wow, thanks. Amazing. Champagne right back at you, <laughs> Jen Holm, for <laughs> being the person that helps me do all those things. Because uh, I come in at 6 a.m. and go, help. Help, Jen, help. <laughs> Jen the vet. And then she helps yeah. me. Yep. Bill, you help me. <laughs> oh. And champagne to you both because um, – I am sitting here like really sad that I don't work with you right now <laughs> this yeah. whole time. We miss um, you too. We miss and you. just thinking about both of you have taken on like some really challenging things, not only in the courses that you teach, but like last year, I know Natalie, you were really focused on ELL students and helping mm-hmm. those students like feel that they can be successful in science. And Jen, you've always seemed to have a heart for special education students. Is that still something you both um, continue are continuing to do? Yes, it is. Yes. In our over full Champagne classes. Yes, in our over yeah. full classes. <laughs> yeah. Champagne yeah. Yeah, all around. Everybody cares about those students and not everyone is willing to do what they need to do to make sure that those students get to learn. So it's really awesome. Yeah, very good. All right. Real pain. Who deserves some pain right up in here? I noticed uh, we had some pain dished out to our government officials. For yes. Sure. Yes. Um, I think anyone who's still denying climate change. Mm-hmm. Real, Definitely. Real pain. That's absurd. All the pain. Yeah, and I think um, a special amount of pain to those folks, particularly men in um, that are dominating parts of science and saying that women can't be there and that people of color shouldn't be. Yeah, well, and this is a compliment to our spacesuit, our spacesuit um, comment, uh, our spacewalk comment, which is about women not having access to the appropriate size spacesuits. Oh, that's oh. ridiculous. Yeah, and that why they delayed the all female spacewalk because they they didn't have enough appropriate clothing for female astronauts like come on come on mm-hmm. come on right? does it have to be form-fitting Appar- apparently it has to <laughs> i think they're made for the individual yeah. astronaut i know yeah. i'm sure and i think but... they take time to make but you knew who you picked yes right you should have started yeah. making their little spacesuits yeah. when you picked them yeah exactly so um <laughs> well i think we're on to our last segment is that accurate yep do your fudging homework. <laughs> Interchangeable. Right, ladies. All right. So um, the homework that I have for today, I actually um, just came back from Istanbul. And when we were in Istanbul, uh, one of the museums, we like to go to like random museums that a lot of people don't seem to go to, but are part of like museum passes. And one that we went to was um, the Islamic Science and Tech Museum. 
And it was amazing um, because obviously there's tons of uh, Muslims that have impacted science. And, and, and I think there's this narrative. I mean, I'm not, I know I'm not in the science field, but I, there's a bit of a narrative that, um, for lack of a better word, like kind of whitewashes science and science inventions. Um, mm. When in fact, there's lots of people of color and lots of people um, of varying religions that have contributed. Um, and actually without them, we would not be where we're at when it comes to advances in technology and science. Um, and so I'm going to link to an article in particular that talks about um, how um, Islamic scientists have changed the world. Thank you. Nice. Uh, my homework is to read the research about gatekeeping in science and uh, science education and continue to educate yourself about educational disparities because there is a ton of great research and even coming from our you know, the government, which has defunded so much um, research, they're still putting out research about um, access to science education. And just I was really inspired by what, Nat by what Natalie said about um, re having like a revival in science education because we have to literally save the planet. So mm -hmm. please uh, look into that, um, figure out ways that you can help and educate yourself more about the, some of the disparities in science ed. Any other homework? Yeah. Mm. What do you think people should do or say or read or just something to make them a little less basic on this topic? Oh, man. I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Um, watch good? Before the Flood. Before the Flood. some points in your life. Yeah. Is it on Netflix? It is on Netflix. Okay. Yeah. Um, That's good homework. It's It's decent. I still feel like it's a little it's it's powerful but still watered down a little bit yeah. uh it's, it's also a little bit um like for lack of a better word still hopeful like yes. we use it with the 10th graders um yeah. and that was one of the things it was like very much like you guys can still make a difference but as you pointed out earlier it's not as simple mm -hmm. as changing a light bulb well and it, and it yeah that's i think is it's a that's a government forced idea that it's as small as something like not using a plastic straw and that's sure that's true but it needs to be enormous change that's mm -hmm. going to change things not just your single mm -hmm. stainless steel straw that you're carrying around so that's a little basic in itself <laughs> yeah um what's the term visco girl so now, yeah, straw visco. Right now though. if i have yeah. a silicone straw then <laughs> i'm more woke um <laughs> yeah uh, so maybe educate yourself on more than just the like small things that you can do. What are the bigger things? Who can you mm -hmm. vote for? Uh, mm -hmm. Things like that, which just sounds like everyone says that all the time. So I feel like actually do it. But this time actually, but this time actually do it. Right? Do it for real. <laughs> do it for real. Sip out of your stainless steel straw while voting. <laughs> while voting. <laughs> your ballots are already at your house. Yes, they already they came in the mail. So yeah. go yes. vote right now and like figure it out. Exactly. Yeah. Read the book. Yeah. That's it. And come work. shadow our classrooms whenever you want to see how it really is. Yeah. I will welcome anyone into my classroom Me to come well. see absolutely. what science education at Lincoln High School is like in our classrooms. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. How can people get a hold of you? Is there an email that would be the best way to reach you? Can we add it somewhere? Like the show notes. Yeah, yeah we'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, and then we, yeah, make sure and include your contact info. Yes. Yeah. One thing I'm specifically looking for, sorry, this is totally last minute, um, is more connections with indigenous tribes who mm -hmm. have been connected to our land a lot longer uh, and how we can bridge this science. Um, education and the balance with climate change education and national mm -hmm. everything back right to our indigenous people as well and how can we reach out and make important connections right mm -hmm. here absolutely excellent well thank you guys for coming for really appreciate it yay this yay. is fun all right Ooh, thanks for having us <laughs> of course okay bye bye, bye. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We, we fly, fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. Hi, I'm a mediocre white guy. Um, I think science is overrated, and if anyone can do it, only men can. Oh, shame. for shame. This is Channel 253.